The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hi everyone, welcome to Scorebox. We have Juliana Tattlebaum and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. So the Fed has put November firmly in focus for a potential tapering announcement with the chair, Jerome Powell, aiming to finish the wind back of support by around the middle of next year, possibly paving the way for a late 2022 rate hike. For me, it wouldn't take a knockout great, super strong employment report. It would take a reasonably good employment report for me to feel like that test is met. And others on the committee, many, many on the committee feel that the test is already met. Oh, it was also Pavlovian as well. The Dow and the S&P snapping a four-day losing streak, but closing off the day's highs, with banking stocks cheering the prospect of a higher rate environment. Evergrande shares jump after the chairman vows investors are his top priority, but gains ease back amid uncertainty about an $83.5 million interest payment due on an offshore bond today. And Germany's chancellor candidates make a last-ditch bid for votes, and frontrunner Olaf Scholz touts his track record in defense to CNBC. Since I'm the Minister of Finance in Germany, we increased the budget for our military spending much more than all the time before. We need a very strong defense infrastructure in Germany, together with our partners in the NATO. Plus, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson tells the UN General Assembly that humanity must grow up to tackle the climate change issue and plays down a growing rift with France over the newly inked AUKUS Security Pact, trying his hand at uh, well, Franglais in the process. It's time for some of our dearest friends around the world to, you know, prone and grip uh, about all this uh, and donne moi and break. Uh, because this is uh, fundamentally a, a, a great step forward for global security. All right. <laughs> I, I don't know what's happened. We have a, a series in the United Kingdom called uh, Only Fools and Horses in the 80s. And it was a very, very big hit as well. And the lead character was a, a chap from South London, Peckham, if you've ever been to the delights of Peckham. And his name was uh, Del Boy. Uh, and it seems the British Prime Minister is now channeling his inner Del Boy because there was a little bit of franglais in there. Prenez un grip, donnez-moi un break. Oh, there you go. Right. OK, let's get back to real business. OK, the Federal Reserve has kept rates on hold, as expected. But looking forward, nine Fed open market committee members now expect the central bank to start rate hikes next year, up from uh, some of the copy puts it just seven. But it was seven back in June. Now it's nine. So that's basically 50 percent of the FOMC members believe that 2022 is in play. Funnily enough, our next guest doesn't, but we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, this hawkish shift, or more hawkish shift, I should say, I mean, it's just a, a, a dialing the notch on the volume from six to seven, perhaps, means the Fed is now evenly split on a 2022 hike. All 18 officials expect to lift the benchmark above the current rate of near zero in 2023. The Fed Chair Jerome Powell indicated that the central bank could start reducing its asset purchases in November. 
as long as the next jobs report is, quote, reasonably good. Only has to be reasonably good. I thought that was very interesting. In his speech yesterday, he also outlined how quickly the tapering could be concluded. If progress continues broadly as expected, the committee judges that a moderation in the pace of asset purchases may soon be warranted. We also discussed the appropriate pace of tapering asset purchases once economic conditions satisfy the criterion laid out in the committee's guidance. While no decisions were made, participants generally view that, so long as the recovery remains on track, a gradual tapering process that concludes around the middle of next year is likely to be appropriate. Let's take a look at the market action around that Federal Reserve decision. Green across the board, U.S. equities advance. The Dow Jones gaining about 340 points, breaking a four-day losing streak. Same for the S&P 500. In terms of the sector breakdown, energy led the way higher with the um, energy sector performing quite strongly alongside a bounce in the oil price. We had WTI and Brent each rising around 2.5%. Within the Dow Jones, the biggest mover was Goldman Sachs, so that had the biggest uh, positive impact on the index. The tech-heavy Nasdaq also saw some decent gains around 1% higher. Now, in terms of sectors, the U.S. banks are worth highlighting. I mentioned Goldman Sachs having the biggest positive impact on the Dow, but Goldman wasn't alone. We saw strong gains across U.S. banks yesterday. Bank of America gaining about 2.6%, J.P. Morgan around 2%. Uh, We've got Wells Fargo up nearly 3%, Morgan Stanley 2.5%. So very strong gains in U.S. banks. And interestingly, this came after a very strong session for European banks as well yesterday. Of course, that performance came before the Federal Reserve decision. Turning to bond markets, the action we've seen in treasuries, currently the U.S. 10-year trading around 1.3%. And yesterday, the market action, we saw yields on the longer-dated treasuries move lower, while short-term rates moved higher. We did see yields bounce off their lows after the Federal Reserve chair said the central bank's further progress test has been met on its inflation mandate, and that many members believe the test has been also met on the employment mandate. But the 10-year remains fairly range-bound, so not a huge amount of movement despite the action we saw yesterday. Turning to the dollar, let's take a look at how the greenback is faring. Yesterday, we saw the U.S. dollar moderately strengthen after an initial move lower, the dollar index rising about a quarter of a percent on the day overall. Now this morning, we've got a little bit of dollar weakness, so we're retracing the gains we saw yesterday. Sterling trading about 13 basis points higher versus the greenback, the euro trading about 20 basis points higher. Steve. Nice to see you. How did you find getting up three hours earlier? Oh, I was rusty, I would say. I don't envy you, but it's fun to be here. Yeah, it's amazing that one manages to speak, isn't it? Oh, getting up at 3 a.m. every day, isn't it? Yeah, I've been doing it 20 years. Nice to see you this nice morning, anyway. Nice to see you. Right, let's get to a man who knows about staying up late, let alone getting up early. He's stayed up for us. Jim O'Sullivan, Chief U.S. Macro Strategist at TD Security. Jim, always good to see you. Look, um, I know you are slightly um, cautious on the ability of the Federal Reserve or willingness of the Federal Reserve to uh, raise rates in 2022. But, but I mean, did, did you feel like I did? And, you know, we're just pouring over the minutiae as one does on this as well. I thought it was gently more hawkish, certainly from Powell in what he said about the substantial further progress test on employment than I'd previously expected. Good, good evening or good morning to you, sir. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Good morning. Um, yes, I mean, it was, it was more hawkish generally than expected. I mean, I think the most definitive signal is on, on the tapering. Um, I mean, they've told us already that tapering uh, w- is going to start this year, but I think they give a very clear signal that the expectation is it's going to start at the November meeting. And it's going to be wound down more quickly than in, in 2013-14, and, and 
uh, where it's going to be wound down basically by the middle of next year. So it looks like an eight-month taper instead of an eight, eight, a ten-month taper uh, last time. So I think that's the most definitive signal. Now, the dot plot, as you've been talking about, did show somewhat higher rates as well. I mean, I would say the information value kind of lessens the further out you go. So certainly the most definitive signal clearly is on, on, on tapering. And um, the, the rest is, is a lot more debatable. Jim, there was a lot of focus on uh, Federal Reserve uh, Chair Jerome Powell uh, distinguishing and decoupling the association of tapering with rate hikes. Do you think that he effectively communicated that these should be viewed separately? Um, up to a point. I mean, he, he used very similar language a few weeks ago when he spoke at Jackson Hole, when he said there's no direct signal for the timing of liftoff, i.e. rate hikes from the timing or the, the pace of tapering. Now, he said no direct signal. He didn't absolutely say there was no signal because, I mean, ultimately, it's a function of moving toward the Fed's goals on, on the labor market and in, in inflation. So there clearly is a connection there. That said, he's, as he emphasized, uh, the test is a lot stricter for, for liftoff than for tapering. For tapering, they need substantial further progress toward the goals, whereas for tightening rate hikes, they need basically mission accomplished plus some overshooting. So it's much further down the road, but they're not totally unconnected by any means. Jim, in terms of price action, yesterday we saw yields on the longer dated treasuries move lower and shorter term rates move higher, but still the 10-year pretty range bound. Do you think that once we do actually see tapering begin, that uh, treasuries will begin trading in in a more normal, uh, quote unquote, normal way? Well, um, I mean, our, our view, certainly at TD, our, 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 our bond strategist, um, is that uh, rates will go up over time. That as tapering happens, the economy is progressing. Ultimately, you do get closer to tightening whenever that is exactly. But as time goes on, you do get closer. But all of those would argue for bond yields being higher than they are. I mean, as far as today goes, um, I mean, the taper signal certainly was more definitive um, I think it was pretty much a done deal that it was going to be either November or December, based on what Fed officials have been talking about. So they very clearly signaled today that they want to start in November. So a little bit sooner than the average of November, December, if you want to put it that way. But it wasn't a shock. I mean, they had prepared us pretty well for the idea that it was coming fairly soon. Yeah, the market seemed very uh, calm back on the back of it. Jim, can I tie this into bigger issues as well and look at what's going on in what people are looking at in the, in the entire fixed income space as well, whether it be concern about high yield and property out of China, uh, whether it be uh, the US corporate uh, issuance and IG as well. Is there a now change of the guard a little bit that people have been waiting for for absolutely ages in our appreciation of what is an acceptable yield uh, in bonds, whether it be sovereign or whether it be corporate? Um, well, I mean, certainly over over the last few decades, there's been a secular downtrend in rates. I and mean, part of that is is inflation having come down. And while inflation is up, this year, uh, pretty significantly, I think most people are generally buying the idea that this is indeed largely transitory. So when you look at what's built into the bond market in terms of inflation expectations, yeah, most people, the majority of people clearly do not expect this inflation that we're seeing this year to be sustained. And then in terms of real yields, um, the view, I think, is that uh, kind of on a structural basis, equilibrium real yields are a lot lower than in the past. So it's not clear that anything has suddenly changed recently on that front. So, yeah, I think most people think the neutral level of rates is a lot lower than in the past. And 
I mean, the, the Fed as a group is putting kind of long run neutral essentially for the Fed funds rate at two and a half percent nominal, implicitly 0.5 percent real, allowing for them to meet their two percent inflation target. But if anything, the markets are pricing it even lower than that. Okay, what, what I'm trying to go for, Jim, is is there any source of tension potentially for bond investors, for investors globally who then see ramifications for other asset classes uh, from uh, a higher appreciation of where yields need to be to appreciate the risk at the moment, both on inflation front and indeed, dare I say, the risk of default from some companies uh, and indeed the, the ridiculously low high yield we've seen. I mean, here in Europe, for instance, high yield uh, indicators are below real rates of inflation, which just seem absolutely ridiculous in terms of the, the amount you're getting on your coupon as well. And there's nothing there that you're beginning to worry about. Well, I mean, I think it's a legitimate question, a legitimate issue, because so much is tied to the level of interest rates, particularly real interest rates. So for whatever reason, if, if real interest rates were to shoot up, that would clearly have an impact on valuations in the equity market, as well as the corporate bond market. Now, so far, rightly or wrongly, people are pretty relaxed. And again, despite the big surge in inflation this year, markets are generally pricing in tame inflation over the next couple of years, as well as the expectation that uh, equilibrium real rates are a lot lower than in the past. So, I mean, if that were to suddenly change, and obviously it didn't change today, then that would that would be a problem for risk markets, uh, i.e., the equity market, the corporate bond market. And um, but again, as of now, that that doesn't seem to be a big issue for markets. Jim, with the Fed turning more hawkish and noting uh, a faster taper, what does this mean for the dollar, especially in light of the fact that this puts puts the Fed in um, significantly different footing than the ECB, for example? Well, um, I mean, certainly relative to the ECB, I think the expectation is the Fed will move a bit quicker, although compared with a lot of other countries, the Fed's probably going to be slower. I mean, I think uh, we still have the, the new Fed framework, Fed's average inflation targeting framework. I mean, there's some uncertainty exactly how that's going to be in- interpreted, but in general, it, it probably does mean a more dovish Fed over time. Um, and um, chances are as well that if anything, the Fed could become even more dovish in the next year. Um, I think expectations are that Powell will be reappointed, but uh, Clarida and Quarles are, are probably going to be replaced by people more dovish than them. There's an empty seat on the board right now as well. So again, it's kind of a mixed bag. I mean, I'd say yes, relative to Europe. Uh, the Fed will probably be moving sooner, but compared with most of the rest of the world, probably not. Jim, always nice to see you. Are you going to bed now or are you staying up? Going to bed now, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's really nice of you to stay up for us. I do appreciate it. Thanks very much indeed, Jim. Uh, nice Thank to you. see you again. Jim O'Sullivan, Chief U.S. Macro Strategist, TD Security. Yeah, whenever you get these guests out of the States, I just think, well, that's pretty amazing work, isn't it? One o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. I don't know which is more impressive, waking up so early or staying up so late. Well, you've got to work with me for the next two days. So <laughs> just... No, I will. I'll definitely be focused on the waking up yeah, early. I agree with you. I agree. Getting up early is much harder. Wow. It's a quick learner. Um, right. Let's uh, just say, though, the Fed is set to introduce stricter trade. Oh, yeah. I'll do this story. This story. Okay. Listen to this. The Fed is set to introduce stricter trading rules after controversial trades by two regional heads of the central bank. Shocking, isn't it? Dallas Fed head Robert Kaplan traded more than $1 million worth of individual stocks, whilst the Boston Fed president, Eric Rosengren, held financial interests in real estate investment trusts. Now, neither of them have been accused of doing anything wrong, okay? Not in the letter of the law. 
Uh, the Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the central bank is reviewing the rules but did not give a timeline for any changes. Just safe to say, just safe to say before we get the sound from Powell, a CNBC anchor is not allowed to trade real estate stocks or individual stocks and names, yeah? But a Federal Reserve governor is. Let's listen to what Powell said. It is now clearly seen as not adequate to the task of of, uh, of really uh, sustaining the public's trust in us. We need to make changes, and we're going to do that as a consequence of this. This will be a thoroughgoing and uh, uh, comprehensive review. We're going to gather all the facts um, and, and look at ways to further tighten our rules and, uh, and standards. On the fiscal side of things, President Biden met with top congressional Democrats yesterday in an attempt to find consensus on the party's budget package. The move comes ahead of a potential vote on the $1 trillion infrastructure bill on Monday. Progressives have threatened to sink the vote if the Senate doesn't pass their larger social safety and climate legislation, which would expand access to health care and reduce carbon emissions. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell argued the bill represents the latest in wild Democrat spending, which will force Congress's hand with the debt ceiling. We all agree America must never default. The debt ceiling will need to be raised. We have a Democratic president, Democratic House, Democratic Senate. They have decided to, with the possible exception of infrastructure, all year long to operate on a partisan basis, a $1.9 trillion bill earlier this year that all of us opposed for darn good reason, and this reckless tax and spending measure, which could range from $3.5 trillion to $5 trillion. So my advice to this Democratic government, the President, the House, and the Senate, don't play Russian roulette with our economy. Step up and raise the debt ceiling to cover all that you've been engaged in all year long. Elizabeth Warren, a Democrat senator from Massachusetts, warned the Republicans' agenda may prove disruptive to global financial systems. If the United States defaulted on its debt, that makes all of our obligations, our financial obligations around the world, um, suspect. And right now, the U.S. dollar is that's the reserve currency. That's what everyone wants. That's what they know you can depend on. You have a bond. We know that the United States stands behind its currency. The United States stands behind its debt obligations. We default on that debt, and it just throws it all into chaos. Coming up on the show, Evergrande shares are on track for their best day since November 2009 as Chairman seeks to reassure investors about the company's future. And we've got, well, it says here, another great podcast, <laughs> very presumptive, but it is great apparently, especially today's. All you need to know about the new Fed dot plot and taper plans. Download the podcast, as Prime Minister Johnson might say, you can écouter to us everywhere you ally. Oh dear.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Welcome back to Squawk Box. We'll take a look at opening calls for Europe after the very strong session we saw yesterday. The stock 600 gained about 1%, reflecting broad-based gains, but in particular, extremely strong performance from the cyclical sectors. Banks leading the way higher, up about 3.1%. Before, of course, the rally in banks on Wall Street. Basic resources up 3% as well. Autos, travel and leisure, and oil and gas. So very strong session for cyclicals. And it looks as though that strength will continue. FTSE 100 indicating about a 26-point rise. At the open, the DAX about 70 points higher, the CAC 40 over in France nearly 30 points, and the FTSE MIB over in Italy looking at a basically flat open. Turning to the Asian session, this is what the picture looks like. Some resilience in Asia despite continued jitters around the Evergrande story. We're going to bring you all the latest in just a minute, but here's a look at the trading action. The Hang Seng up about 0.5%. It was closed yesterday, so reopening for a fresh session. The Kospi over in Korea down about 0.4%. Worth noting that the Japanese markets are closed today, but over in mainland China, the Shanghai Composite up about 0.5%. Steve. Thank you very much. Right, shares in Chinese property developer Evergrande jumped on their return from the mid-autumn festival holiday in Hong Kong, albeit from a low base. It comes after the chairman vowed investors uh, were his top priority, but amid uncertainty about an $83.5 million interest payment on an offshore bond due today and uh, more repayments due next week, I understand. Emily, this story uh, is absolutely extraordinary and a lot of people are waking up to the scale not only at Evergrande, but throughout the country now, uh, of debts in the property sector, the demographic issues, the revenue issues as well. Um, I can't believe it's all behind us now, but the impression from the Evergrande shares is that there's a little bit of relief in the offing, certainly in the next 24 hours. Yeah, that's right, uh, Steve. And this comes as uh, the stock is on set uh, to make its first gain in about seven sessions. It rallied as much as 32%. Uh, so we have managed to pair some of those gains, uh, but still a pretty decent session here of 17%, uh, 267 last traded. This comes as the company's chairman, Hui Ka Yan, uh, doing his bit to try and re- reassure uh, investors. He told company executives also that the firm will try its best to resume work and production early urging his company executives to ensure quality delivery of the properties. His top priority, he says, is to help wealth investors redeem their products. If you may remember last week, we had investors, the protesters showing up at their Shenzhen headquarters demanding payment for their wealth management products. Now, this comes as we're watching what the company is going to be doing today, as there is an $83.5 million interest payment that is due on a bond that matures in March of next year. But having said that, they did make good on a domestic bond uh, payment that was due yesterday. So that, of course, uh, giving more confidence to the market and helping to support the shares. Now, all of this comes as 
we had Evergrande's second largest shareholder. This is Chinese Estates making an announcement today that is going to be selling all of its Evergrande shares. It sold 108.9 million shares between August the 30th to September 21st at an average price of $2.26, making a consideration of 31.6 million U.S. dollars. After that, it still holds a 5.6% stake. I got a chance to speak to Lao Ming Wai, the chairman of Chinese Estates, uh, just two days ago at the uh, Waterworld Ocean Park opening, uh, of whom he is also a chairman of. This is what he had to say about Evergrande. I think the mainland government is uh, very well versed in uh, handling uh, events or shocks or uh, crises, whether it's natural or man-made. So, so, so I, I think they have all the tools uh, in their toolbox, whether it's monetary or fiscal, to solve this. Chinese estates stock also popping today as much as 15% on the back of this news. And we also got comments coming out from HSBC as well. Uh, Noel Quinn, uh, Group CE, saying that he expects the debt problems to have impact on capital markets, but he does not see any direct impact on the bank. Uh, he says it is concerning and that there is potential for second and third order impact. So HSBC also weighing in on this. Uh, the stock is traded up more than 2% in the Hong Kong session. Uh, so we are seeing a very strong session play out here as we play catch up after the mid-autumn break yesterday. Back to you guys. Emily, that's great reporting as ever. Thank you very much indeed for that. Question for you. Uh, and I, I read an article, I think it was FT. Um, how much unsold housing inventory do you think there is in China, according to the Financial Times? And now you can either have it in square meters or you can have it in number of million people that it would fit in. I'll tell you the answer because, mm. I mean, there's no way you can guess. <laughs> the current unsold housing inventory in China, according to this copy in the Financial Times, is 3 billion square meters. 3 billion square meters of unsold housing inventory, which mm. is enough to house 30 million families. Wow. 30 million families. Now, again, I think this is a quote from the Rhodium Group, which is based in Hong Kong as well. Put that in perspective. There are five G7 countries, France, Germany, Italy, the UK and Canada, that could fit their entire population into those empty Chinese apartments with room to spare. Now, the article, I should say, is by James King and Su mm. Yu, who's operating out of Hong Kong and Beijing in the Financial Times. Extraordinary Staggering numbers. numbers, which is why I couched my question to Emily mm. in that way, i.e. this cannot just be about one interest payment or two interest payments or three interest payments. This is a far bigger issue. Even if that number is overestimated, it's still huge. Number is absolutely huge. I think it's interesting to, to, to think about whether this is really a surprise, given that Beijing has made clear that they're aware of this issue. They've made clear for years now. So should this come as a, a surprise to the market? Uh, I'm not sure. The numbers are staggering, absolutely. But it seems like this was a long time coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, crises always do when they come, don't they? When they, when they suddenly come overnight, it was like they took years in the making to come overnight. I think it's something along the uh, the butchered phrase. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.